All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan. Welcome to the Manufacturers Network podcast. I'm excited to introduce you to our guest today, Tracy Weeder. Tracy has worked in the field of biomedical research for 30 years, starting as a lab technician, then moving into lab manager roles, lab director roles, and finally into her current role overseeing all research labs at the University of Miami Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center. She's a recognized expert on disaster preparedness and safety. So Tracy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm really glad to be here. So share with us a little bit about your background and what led you to doing what you do. Absolutely. I started out just in college getting a biology degree and going into laboratories as a laboratory technician. And I was just minding my own business till one day when I lived in Houston, we experienced a tropical storm back in 2001 named Tropical Storm Allison. And it ended up wreaking such havoc on the Houston metropolitan area that I actually saw in the laboratory setting, I saw entire careers destroyed by this event. And I really have now a passion of mine to help out uh, with disaster preparedness information in any setting that I can get my hands on to help people understand that really disaster planning applies to everybody, no matter so where what, they live. So what was it that caused them to lose their careers in that? So in this particular instance, because it was laboratory research, they have very valuable samples that are irreplaceable, they're intellectual property, and they store these samples in liquid nitrogen. So at a very cold temperature, that's around 100 and minus 190 degrees Celsius. So even colder. It sounds even colder in Fahrenheit temperature. And because of this disaster, we couldn't get, the, all of the power was out. The backup generators were out, so the elevators didn't work, and we couldn't get the liquid nitrogen supply up to the laboratories. So their liquid nitrogen evaporated off, and all of their samples were lost because of that. And on top of it, there was no power, there was no air conditioning. And in that particular event, we also had org down in the basement of that building. And so there were that had not yet been embalmed that were also part of that there was a large flood and which made the area biohazardous area so nobody could re-enter for about three weeks when they let us go in just to remove some samples but we were really out of the lab for about three months while they were trying to clean up the biohazard zone and just dry things out wow and i can't think of a time in our history the last couple of years and actually the last couple of weeks with uh, hurricanes coming through that disaster preparedness is such a key issue. First, we're dealing with all the shutdowns and the turnarounds from a worldwide pandemic that we hadn't seen since 1918. Yes. And 
realizing how important that was. And it was interesting to see how co some companies could turn on a dime and go from manufacturing metal stampings to all of a sudden they're making masks and they're making yes. uh, respirators and stuff. So some companies were able to turn around and others just weren't. And then, of course, with Ian, Hurricane Ian going through in the last couple of weeks, you know, that devastation. But I also think that with the hurricane, not the people in Florida are used to hurricanes, but it would seem their disaster preparedness would be a little better than most because they're, I don't want to say they're used to that, but they get it more than we do in Cleveland. So mm -hmm. talk about a couple different types of preparedness when you have something unexpected, yes. pandemic, and then expected like a hurricane. Exactly. So I guess I'll use this opportunity to, to just mention the different types of disasters too, along with answering your question. So as you said, there's the expected and there's the unexpected. And I always categorize it into, you know, severe weather events. So yes, it could be hurricanes, but in other parts of the countries, like hurricanes and floods, but it can be mudslides, blizzards, tornadoes, and then all of the things that are not natural disasters, as you said. So a hurricane, we have some notice. An earthquake, you don't, right? It's just going to happen. A blizzard, you have a little bit of notice, right? And tornadoes are pretty sudden, but then there's fires, right? It's like fires, floods, and fun. <laughs> there's right. fires, there's power outages. We of late... We had a disaster just in the last year that involved a plumbing contractor coming in and breaking off a fire sprinkler head and instantly flooding the entire building with that because there's so much pressure behind those fire sprinkler heads. So if you break off that head, you're going to flood that entire building, right? And then, of course, there's epidemics and pandemics, which in the past, I would have said that I would have often asked, say, if I were speaking to people on this topic, I would ask how many people have been through a disaster at work. And now I would argue we've all been through a disaster at yeah. work and in our personal lives because of that pandemic. Yeah. So what's most important is just to always be prepared, right? Because if you prepare in advance, then you're not worried about whether it's a fire that you can't predict or it's something that may be like a blizzard that you know is coming, right? If you're just prepared, then you have your plan, you're prepared, and you'll be able to recover um, to some extent as opposed to trying to scramble around last minute. So in that sense, there's not a big difference between whether you know it's coming and, you, and a sudden disaster because the best way to approach either scenario is to plan in advance. So how does one get started of even thinking about putting somebody was starting from ground zero to put together a disaster plan? Where do you start? What does that look like? Yeah, I know it can seem a little overwhelming and in some cases a lot overwhelming, right? So really the first thing that anyone has to do in any setting is determine your vulnerabilities. So in some settings, we might have toxic substances that if they were released into the environment, it could be hazardous to the to public health. In other settings, we might not have anything toxic, but we might have some very expensive equipment that if it were lost, it would result in significant financial hardship for the company. And then in some cases, we might also have intellectual property, meaning any inventions, anything that's unique to that 
particular company or organization that they have copyrights on, things like that, that can't be replaced just by going to a vendor and saying, hey, send me another one. So it's really important for everybody to just sit down and kind of think about what they do on a day-to-day -day basis and what you would do if your computer, your records, and all of your assets and everything were just gone. And when you think of it that way, I think it's pretty easy to come around to, okay, like I can replace this. I put my data on the cloud, but this certain thing I couldn't replace, or it would be so expensive to replace it, that sort of thing. And then, so it's really about identifying those vulnerabilities first. Once you know those vulnerabilities, then you can work on, okay, what can we do to protect these items? The first things are always going to be taking pictures because for insurance purposes, you're going to need that documentation. So especially if there's any assets involved, like equipment, you're just going to want to take pictures of all of it. And you don't have to spend a lot of time on that every year. It's just the first time you do it, you get all the pictures. And then whenever you replace equipment or bring in something new, you just take its picture and make sure you just don't store it on a hard drive, right? We like we want right. that data to be stored like in the cloud where if you were to lose this particular computer, you would still have your data. And the same goes for any kind of standard operating procedures, any kind of protocols, any kind of important documentation that your business requires to survive. The, the data that you need, like your, your customer database, for instance, right? Anything like that needs to be stored on the cloud where you're sure it will be safe in case any individual computer were ever destroyed. And then from there, there's other things that can be done too, depending on what the vulnerabilities are, but that's really where you start, right? It's really just sitting down and saying, if everything were lost, what would be the most difficult to replace can we replace it? And what would it take to replace it? And then going from there. So and thinking of the going with the cloud too, because I've had experts on the show in cybersecurity, because that could be a disaster too. If somebody comes in, my husband's company was gotten into with ransomware and they were shut down for about three weeks. It took them to get their data back. Thankfully, they had some backup, but yeah. I think they still lost a week or two worth of data. So is there a happy medium between what you can keep on the cloud and then how do you make sure that you're keeping that data secure? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a really that's a really good point because you're absolutely right in cybersecurity world that really it's hard to imagine anything safe. But again, anything that's super critical, I also advise people not only keep it on the cloud, but also maybe on a thumb drive. It's just that I don't want people to feel like disaster preparedness is, oh gosh, now like every day I have to be transferring things from here to there. You don't want it to be overwhelming for people. So again, it doesn't have to be like all of your data, but anything that would be really important. It's worthwhile to put it on as some kind of an external drive as another backup source as well. So we've taken a look at the vulnerability standpoint. And then after that, what are some of the important things that in this case, manufacturers should do to prepare for disasters at their workplace? 
Yeah. And so this question has actually evolved over time now with after having gone through the pandemic, right? So I used to think a lot more about things that were physical, animals, equipment, goals. And these are all still very important, but now we also need to consider our staff, right? And how can we keep continuity of business going, a business continuity plan, right? So for organizations where they can send their staff home to work, even if you've called everybody back at this point, I still think it's very important that we continue to cultivate that as a as an option when needed. So I really recommend that everybody do who does who can do that, who can send staff home when needed, that they do work from home drills like twice a year, where you send everybody home, you say, we're going to have a day where we work from home. And what are your problems? Bill couldn't make his printer work. Sonia couldn't make her camera work, right? And you go through all these things because these can change from month to month. Like maybe last time we did the drill, everything worked. Now this time, Tracy can't make anything work (laughs) at home. So I think that work from home drills are really super important for those sorts of things. Taking the pictures of anything that's a tangible physical asset is really important. I lived through it with that event in Houston and it is it is amazing what the insurance companies will say. Like you can have a room where it's clear that the roof has fallen in and they'll say, how do we know it didn't look like that before? Wow. <laughs> so it's important to even take like long shots of the warehouse or whatever your work setting is in addition to close-up pictures of of equipment itself. And it's not that this is going to keep you from losing that equipment, but it's going to make it much easier for you to recover um, when you're doing insurance claims. Also, as we said, store things on the cloud, have backups on external drives. It's very important to keep updated contact information for all of your teams that you work with, because really at the end of the day, we need to take care of each other and look out for each other. But but in addition to saying, hey, maybe I have power at my house. You guys don't have power. Oh, come over here. It's two degrees outside. Come to my house. Other than that, it's also the way that you stay in touch about what announcements have been made by your organization about coming to work or not coming to work. And it's just really important to have that contact information. And then if you have anything that's on an alarm, oftentimes high-end equipment can be on alarms if it goes out of its operating range. Just make sure you test those alarms regularly and that they're working and that they're making contact in the way that they're set up to do. That's really important. I've seen cases where people have a freezer go into alarm on the weekend and they don't have updated contact information, or something was wrong with the connection for the alarm monitoring system, and it's not till they come in Monday and find their freezer thawed and everything inside of it is lost, that they realize that their alarms weren't working. So I think testing those alarms is really super important. And if you do have anything that's intellectual property, that if it's something that it would be possibility to distribute like with collaborators or other branches of your company, it's a good idea to not have everything all in one place. Whereas if that place were lost, it's all just gone, right? Where maybe you have some 
in other locations. Again, it really, it's very broad with manufacturing. So it's hard to speak very specifically, right, to any right. particular environment, but, uh, but that's a general gist of it. And then also being able to move things if you see the need. So having a plan in place in advance, like if we know something is coming, do we have a way we could, do we have a location that we could with an advance where say I'm on the first floor, maybe we get these things up to the fifth floor, depending on what the disaster is. If it's something you can plan for, being able to move equipment or assets or intellectual property around can be really helpful, but you really have to think that through in advance, right? You have to have the right electrical in place if that were needed, the right hookups, whatever utilities, and just space where you know that, okay, this is coming, I'm going to move these items. And then, so as you had alluded to, it's really, it's different in the sense if you know it's coming and you don't know it's coming in the way that it hits us, but the way we prepare for it would really be pretty, pretty much the same, right? Having a plan in advance and knowing what you're going to do. One of the things that I never really thought about that before, which was brilliant, is the the work from home drill. Yeah. Just something that of sending people home. I know that there's some companies that are all bent on bringing everybody back to the back to the office 24 and bring everybody back, which I also <laughs> think is a mistake because I did too. Or, yeah, people were perfectly capable of working from home for two years and got the work done. Does it matter where they're working? It's nice to get people together and have some core hours or core days. Yeah. But the thought of just like you have a fire drill which is always a bummer when it happens in front in the middle of a training program. <laughs> I've just arose a work from home day with no notice and, except for the night before notice. Mm-hmm. See um, what does it work and if we needed to do that. So I really like that. And then the other thing, when you talk about getting updated contact information, I think that really goes hand in hand with workplace culture. Because you have to create a workplace where your employees, especially your hourly employees, trust you enough with that information, with their home phone number, with their personal email address, so that you can get a hold of them. And even that example that you said of it's two degrees outside and we find out that one employee doesn't have heat and somebody else does and we can start connecting people together and making it about the people because they are your greatest asset. So I thought that those two were just really good, simple tips for people to Yeah, and at the end of the day, we just need to take care of each other. So I would hope that most work environments, people are trusting enough that they understand that. Of course, if people aren't comfortable sharing their home contact information, then that's going to make Probably a bigger issue. Yes. (laughs) Probably a bigger issue going on there. They need to be looking for a better work environment (laughs) because these are really how, other than just being a humanitarian and wanting everyone to be safe and well, it's, this is how companies show their employees they care is things like keeping them safe, saying to them, like, we're going to prepare for a disaster so that you don't have to be without a paycheck for longer than the absolute necessity if something were to happen. And there are some employees who, if the if work shuts down, they are without a paycheck, right? And so that's another way of showing that we care for our employees is to try to say, I'm going to prepare 
so that we can recover quickly and we get you back to earning money if if so if the if there were a fire or the worst were to happen. And so yeah, it's really it's part of the culture too of just does the organization care enough? Because we think about again in disaster planning our intellectual property, our machinery, our equipment, but when things happen and I think that we really saw it during the pandemic of the importance of empathy of reaching out to employees and saying, hey, are you okay? What do you need? How can we support you? How can we be of assistance to you? And sometimes just making the call. As a member of the National Speakers Association, what I was on the task force that we reached out to every single member in the state of Florida after Hurricane Ian. And it was amazing that people, wow, I'm in four different associations and nobody else called. And they're in the middle of the state. They're not affected at all, but we don't know if their loved ones are. It's just reaching out to people in times of need and seeing that there are people on that other side of the equation. Because really without those assets, there's not a whole lot that you have. And it just means a lot. I'm in Miami. And although at one point it looked like Ian was going to hit us, it turned and it didn't. That's common with hurricanes. We're okay, but our heart is breaking for our neighbors just to our north, right? The pictures are horrible. Some people are saying it's the worst hurricane that's ever hit Florida. So I absolutely agree with you, just showing some empathy and concern. And even if we go back to my example, which you referenced, you know, like how easy is it to say, just open your doors to someone who doesn't have power, And maybe it's 115 degrees outside. Maybe it's two degrees outside, but I got power. You don't like how hard is it? Come over and stay safe. Don't freeze. Don't bake. Let's we're in this together. Let's get through it together. And I think it's important to form cultures like that in, in the workforce so that people do feel that they really are a team and a family. Exactly. And as we start to get to the end of our time together, what is your best tip when it comes to disaster planning, whether you're getting started or just to make sure you have some kind of plan in place? Yeah. So the best tip is just what you said is to have a plan, right? That's that's the the number one best tip. So once you're there, you're in really good shape. But yeah, and as I said earlier, but I'll emphasize it again, is as you're making that plan, just think about what your vulnerabilities are, right? What are your most vulnerable? Or sometimes for some organizations, those vulnerabilities are actually going to be what are your most critical functions, right? Like how can we shuffle people from here to there? Cross-training has become vital, for this, right? What if you have a team of six and five of them are all out sick because there's a pandemic? You got to make sure that one remaining person that you're going to stick in a bubble to make sure they don't get sick, that they've been cross-trained so they can cover other work, right? So cross-training is critical so that we can leverage our workforce appropriately. And then, so as I said, when I'm saying vulnerabilities, you have to sort of think very broadly, like maybe you don't have assets or chemicals that would be dangerous, but what if three quarters of your workforce were out, right? And so that's where you can realize things like cross-training become super important, or maybe you don't have many people on your team to cross-train, but can you work with another team? at your organization or even another similar organization where you could all work together to help staff each other until the end when there's just no more staff left. Yeah. Well, and I think it's part of 
asking the questions that you would never think about asking and hoping that you never have to have the answer to those or to have that. But it's a nice insurance plan. I never in a million years would have asked myself, gee, I wonder what would happen to my speaking business if a worldwide pandemic shut down the mm -hmm. meetings industry. You know, it's a question that is beyond our level of comprehension, but I think that the last couple of years have really shown us that there's no question that is too out there to ask, but because just getting that preparedness being pre and hoping that it doesn't happen, but if it does, at least your business can continue. Exactly. And I think it's important for each person at every level to realize that you planning is as important as the higher ups to not sit around and think, oh, the boss has got it under control because you know what? The bosses may not have it under control. And so like nobody should be beyond thinking about preparing for disaster in your own work environment. Tracy, if people did want to continue the conversation with you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? Yes, absolutely. So I can be found on LinkedIn with my name. If you search for Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, Weeder, W-I-E-D-E-R with the Miami location. And I'm also going to give out my email in case anyone wants to email me directly. So that would be T and then my last name, Weeder. So W-I-E-D-E-R at med.miami.com. .edu. And I'm happy to help anybody who has any questions. Please feel free to reach out to me. Wonderful. Tracy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Lisa. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this with your audience. I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Manufacturers Network Podcast. Do me a favor and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow this network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either send your buddies to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the Manufacturers Network podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow the network, the stronger and deeper the community will all have. Thanks again, and I appreciate you.